everybody. Welcome to Behind the Tour once again, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of the most iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Well, this is Aaron Cronk, and I'm here with Corey Hockaday and Krista Wenzel. And our desire and purpose is to provide insight for you guys for today and hope for the future as we look at history from a biblical worldview. Well, hey, Corey. Hey, Krista. How you guys doing? Hey. Good. Hey, Aaron. How are you? Good to see you guys. Well, hey, do you know what month this is? <laughs> well, it's February, February so yes. it is Black History Month. Hey. Yes. Exciting. I love studying Black History yes. Month. When I was a kid, my favorite favorite books were the American Girl books and <laughs> I would often read the Addie series over and over and so I think that's where a lot of my love of abolition and the, it was mm. the first time I ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation and I just I love those books so anyway oh, so wow. since that point for all these thousands of years it seems later I still love learning about black history especially in the month it is designated but Corey, why is it designated as February? Is there any reason? You know, this is something I literally just learned the other day. I don't know where I've been all these years. But February 1st in 1865 is the day that Abraham Lincoln signed what would become the 13th Amendment, ending slavery forever in the United States of America. So this is That's why amazing. February. Yeah, I would always wondered, like, why February? And now, pff, now I know. Now you know. I heard something last week. Well, I read something last week that I didn't know. And I kind of felt like, um, you know, considering the profession that we're all in, I should have been more aware of this. But the difference between the Emancipation Proclamation and the amendment, Mm -hmm. besides it being, you know, an amendment to the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the Emancipation Proclamation made it illegal for slavery in the southern states. Mm-hmm. is the difference and i don't know i just i'd never caught that before because all the northern states already had right. their own yeah they there uh-huh. it already was illegal up there but um it kind of basically was in place there to undo the fugitive act and um mm-hmm. you know the the different acts that they had between mm-hmm. the federal government so yeah. anyway so the things cool. that we learned yeah we never stop learning well, it's uh, you guys, it's a wonderful time to celebrate uh, the lives of individuals who have made an impact in upholding the truth mm-hmm. in our Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. God has created all men equal through throughout America's history, not only America's history, but through the world. So the last couple of episodes, we've looked at Martin Luther King Jr. and Abraham Lincoln and their lives. Um, and in this episode, we're going to be uh, continuing the conversation uh, of uh, civil rights and um, all men are created equal. Um, so uh, equality for all. But first, we have a question. Do we not? From another. How <laughs> <We do. laughs> <laughs> to segue into that one. Yeah, we, do. we have a question from a listener named Jeff. And he asks us a question. So he says, clearly there is a lot of thought that goes into every memorial in Washington, D.C. What is the symbolism of water so often found in memorials like FDR Memorial and the Korean Memorial and like pretty much all the memorials in Washington, (sighs) D.C.? What a question. Really good question. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think it's kind of subjective depending on which story guide you get and which sort of artistic feeling they have about water. But I th generally it's, you know, if it's still water, it's kind of the idea of reflection, hence like reflecting pond or kind of the idea of death. Like there's a pond at FDR's memorial that's still where it's like it's, um, talking about the part of his story where he died. So it's kind of symbolizing that. So you might see that at the war memorials like Korea. Um, some of it's kind of about life and renewal. So there's that moving water that might represent that kind of a, you know, from though something sad happens, something new can come out of it. So, yeah, I don't know, Aaron, Krista, you want to add to that? Well, I think, uh, I think water <clears throat> holds uh, a lot of inspiration. I think it holds hmm. a lot of symbolism in different contexts. So I think that's why a lot of memorials or at least the designers uh, implement water into them mm -hmm. um and it could be it could be a, a spiritual symbolism it could mm -hmm. be uh it could could be uh, many other things but nonetheless i think they're all inspiring you know all the memorials uh, that i've been to across the country uh, that use water in some form of symbolism uh, is very inspiring and it adds to uh, the character of that particular memorial mm -hmm. absolutely well and i think that water is you know uh, you guys are from Wisconsin and from Minnesota and, you know, water is very important in our <laughs> cultures and, you know, the symbolism of water and what it means to so many different people, like you said, is so important for me. When I think of water, often I think of the world war II Memorial with mm -hmm. those big fountains and how beautiful it is. And it just adds a difference because in the winter, the water and the fountain, it's not there, but then it's there in the spring and summer. And the only problem I have is when, um, people are you know they go Ooh. into the water and I remember Ooh. always being so offended but then and telling people like my students like okay don't go into the water <laughs> and then they came back the National Park Service came back at all of us who used to shun those and said that it's okay to dip your feet in the pools and I just remembered I even know to this point, like I I still don't know if I would put my feet into the memorial because it's so mm -hmm. sacred, but to not have the mm -hmm. NPS back me up is a little bit tough. So, <laughs> so that's yeah. what I think of yeah. when I think of water at the memorial. Mm -hmm. But that one's unique because the fountain existed before the memorial mm -hmm. did. So they had to build the memorial around the rainbow fountain. So, you know, maybe you used to dip your feet into that memorial before 2004 when the memorial was dedicated. Yeah, and but the so, majority of people know. who are... Right, not like eighth graders. And <laughs> so I, really, I don't think they have those memories <laughs> as toddlers putting dipping their toes in. Maybe. I don't know. Who am I to say? I don't Who know. are we all to I know? know but it does all burn I know my is biscuit, that it let is, me tell you. Yeah, all I know is that they frowned upon me <laughs> for going around and chastising people when I feel like it's my duty and it's not. <laughs> yeah, it could, could have been that third person he actually pushed into the water that uh, complained the most. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking yeah. of memorials, just in general, um, one question that I pretty much get every week, and I mm -hmm. know um, I can almost say with certainty, you guys probably get a similar question. By going to the same memorials every single week, do I or you guys, do we ever get bored of seeing the same sites over and over and over. And I don't know. I just, I think that that's a, a very valid question. So Aaron Kronk, do you get bored going to the same memorials? 
Well, and, and Corey shaking her head no too. <laughs> and you know, I don't. I don't. I don't get. I don't ever get bored. Uh, I think it's the intrigue of just going back to the memorials and learning something new. Uh, to me, it's it's kind of like the Bible. It's not really like the Bible, but it's like the Bible in respect to. There's so much to learn, uh, and those those the memorials just peak your interest in different aspects. And each time I go to the memorials, um, it's a different group. So it's a different group dynamic. And Mm -hmm. uh, those, those uh, different personalities and everything kind of interact in a different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. My mom used to tell me I was never allowed to be bored. Like if I ever said, (laughs) mom, I'm bored. She like, that would not stand. She'd be like, all right, well, let's find you something to do. So boring people get bored is what I've heard before. Mm. And I think that there's some reality of going, (laughs) if I ever get to, um, you know, the Lincoln Memorial and find myself at the word board, I need Mm -hmm. to do an inner check on myself. Like that. Um. I mean, just every week, it's cool to see the same things, but it's also fun because depending on, you know, if you go to the Lincoln Memorial at seven o'clock, on March 3rd and you go to the Lincoln Memorial at seven o'clock on May 3rd, it looks completely different. Mm -hmm. And so it's fun because the memorials change with the atmosphere and with the plants growing around them and where the sun is and how the moon reflects. And there's so much to it that, um, you know, even the physical aspect of being at a place, you know, if you haven't been at the Jefferson Memorial and hid from the wind behind a pillar <laughs> have you ever lived you know those kinds of things when it's freezing so there, true. So, yeah That's Corey, how about it's you kind of well forward? i was just thinking no never it's kind of <laughs> like when you read your favorite book you know i read pride and prejudice like every year of course and the book hasn't changed but i have and so you come back to it with a renewed like appreciation for character development and whatnot because in the interim, you know, you have a different perspective and it's kind of the same, you know, even though we're seeing these memorials week after week in the interim, we've learned something and we met someone or we have a broader picture of the story and appreciation for how all those threads weave together. So yeah, you just kind of, you keep learning from that. And I do like what you guys bring up, whether it's the weather or the group, it's, it's a different dynamic every single time you're there. Yeah. Well, thanks for the question, Jeff. Uh, and just as a reminder, you can email questions that you have for Corey, Krista, and I. Uh, we'd love to hear from uh, any listening audience out there. Um, and the email address is behind the tour, one word, at axacts tours.com. So uh, send us some questions. We'd love to hear from you. All right, it is time for one of our favorite parts of the episode, Behind the Door, when we answer one of the most asked questions on tour. Hey, what's behind that door? So, Aaron, (laughs) tell me this. What is behind the massive bronze doors at the National Archives? I usually get that question because you think going to the National Archives that you go through the doors, but we walk by them. And so very often I'll have students run up and be like, hey, what's behind those doors? So, Aaron, what are behind the doors of the National Archives? Well, Krista, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, the doors themselves are pretty imposing. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I went to the National Archives and walked up 
the front stairs uh, to, to those doors. You can't go in them or through them, but right behind those doors are some pretty amazing documents. But the doors themselves, I think, were architected to be very big and imposing um, and kind of a, a majesty and a grandeur. They're bronze. Uh, they're pretty tall. They're 38 feet, 7 inches tall. Um, they're nearly 10 feet wide. And uh, they're just really, they're very imposing. Uh, the picture that I got uh, with me and uh, the group that I was with is a fun picture because the, the doors uh, just dwarf us. Um, but what's behind the doors uh, is probably a little little more significant than the doors themselves, wouldn't you say? Oh, I'm oh, not going to disagree definitely. with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the doors are cool, but there's uh, some more cool stuff behind them. Absolutely. Right. Like the Declaration of Independence. Oh, my <gasps> gosh. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> so this is fun because the the Declaration is not always in the, in the archives. Archives opened up in the 1930s, but the Declaration didn't move to the archives until the 1950s. And it was this huge, like, ordeal where the, the library was like, no, you can't have our Declaration. But no, it's in the archives today until Nicolas Cage stole it. But it's fine. It's back. <laughs> He's the only one that it gets to go through the doors. <laughs> I know. Well, I like that, you know, you go in there and the, you know, we don't go through those doors anymore. And Aaron, same thing. When I first went to the National Archives, you would just walk right in and walk right out. It was like a five minute ordeal where now you have to stand through security. And I understand completely yeah. why and, you know, they need to be protected. So I'm not opposed to the security at all. But by the time you find your way up to the rotunda, it's very dimly lit in there. And that was part of even the whole thought process because light will fade documents. And when you look at the documents themselves, because it's the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and our other one is, Corey? Bill of Rights. Yes, exactly. So those main three documents are up there and they're all quite faded because of how light will fade art. And so it was part security, but part preservation as well. And um, the National Archives themselves, though, they don't just hold those three documents. It's mm -hmm. basically the storehouse for all of mm -hmm. any kind of original written word, um, you know, any kind of congressional record, they're in there. Mm -hmm. And they've all been digitized over yeah. the last several years. So for our listeners, um, a lot of time I get the question, and I know that you two do as well, where do you get all of your information? How do you know that that's what Thomas Jefferson said? How do you know um, what the original fathers were talking about, the founding fathers? You can actually go to archives.gov and pull up any mm -hmm. of those those words, the written words that they have, they have the originals and they've digitized a lot of them. Um, I know that there's a lot of like New York best, New York Times bestselling authors who do extensive amounts of research. And whenever you know that they're really good is when they say, yeah, I was at the archives researching because mm -hmm. on the backside of the entrance, you can go and there's a research, whole research wing that you can go and do um, extensive research. And that's kind of my dream. If I ever write a book one day, I'm going to go to the National <laughs> Archives and do some original, mm -hmm. original source looking and researching. 
it, it is a fun place to be. Uh, I, I'm fascinated every time I go there. And uh, the environment is just really cool because it's just kind of a learning environment. And like Krista, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a place where uh, our nation's mm-hmm. records, like the record mm-hmm. of our nation um, throughout the ages has, has been stored. Um, and one other thing I love that's really not from our nation, but foundational to our nation is a 1297 mm-hmm. copy mm-hmm. of uh, the original, uh, a copy of the original Magna Carta um, that was um, endorsed by King Edward the, the first. So um, also in the rotunda, in those documents are kind of in a little semicircle. There's just some really uh, neat things in there too. On the floor of the rotunda, uh, are bronze designs that that show legislation, justice, history, war, defense, uh, and there's also uh, ten commandments mm-hmm. with the uh, the Senate and justice to the right of them. So, um, yeah, things that are that are foundational mm-hmm. to our country. We're called I've done the workshops with student groups there before, and in the little workshop they'll refer to the archives as the paper trail of America. But it's not just paper, it's audio and visual as well. So everything from censuses and speeches to military records, if you're into ancestry. And something I've really been geeking out lately about is the the letters between founders. So you can go to founders.archives.gov and you can read like letters between Jefferson and Adams or Washington. And that is so nerdy and so fascinating at the same time. (laughs) So I just love to, yeah, to hear history through their eyes and in their very own words. Super cool. So, and that's just yeah. one of our archives buildings in the country. They're all across the nation. That's the coolest one with the coolest doors for sure. Yeah. Well, next time you go to the National Archives, you'll know what's behind mm-hmm. the door. Well, it's time to take a short uh, commercial break and we'll be right back with you in just a minute. Hi, my name is Sheila Hunt, and I'm an education program leader for American Christian Tours. Have you ever experienced standing over the most famous chasm in the world? American Christian Tours is excited to offer tours going to the Grand Canyon and other sites in Arizona. In a world which offers vague reasoning of the history of the earth, at American Christian Tours, we explore creation with its creator in mind. We'd love for you to join us on an Arizona adventure trip where we will visit the Grand Canyon, see the famous Hoover Dam, get a chance to ride a pink Jeep throughout the Sedona Desert, and many other sites. American Christian Tours offers student, adult, and family trips that go coast to coast celebrating God's creation. Go to axe-tours.com today to find out which trip is right for you. Hope to see you soon. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for one of our newer segments called Carved in Stone. And today, uh, our Carved in Stone uh, segment, we're going to be talking about the Thomas Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., and how that reflects the real person, Thomas Jefferson, our third president. So, uh, Krista, Corey, there's a lot that could be said uh, about Thomas Jefferson, just a fascinating individual an amazingly creative individual, uh, somewhat of an enigma uh, to many people uh, because of uh, the slavery issue. Uh, And there's just a lot of directions that we could go, but why don't we start with uh, just talking about the memorial itself in Washington, Mm. D.C.? Well, 
It was built for his 200th birthday in 1943. And if you know anything about world history in 1943, we were fighting in Europe and Japan in World War II. So this was already in the works before the war. And then um, they just kept kept on going, but they didn't have a lot of bronze metal lying around to build a 19-foot statue of our third president. So the original 19-foot statue of Thomas Jefferson in his memorial was made out of plaster. And then I think they even painted it to look like bronze. But then when the war ended and we have plenty of metal lying around, they recast his um, statue into bronze. So it's a beautiful bronze statue overlooking the tidal basin, which we've alluded to because right across the tidal basin from Jefferson's memorial is the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. And that's the same body of water, which has those beautiful, beautiful cherry blossoms that, you know, bloom every spring. So it's a lovely, lovely location, super photogenic. And one of those places that I for sure never get tired of taking groups to. And the architecture um, is the neoclassical style, which resembles the back of your nickel because the back of the nickel is his house, Monticello, down in Virginia. Also, the main building at the University of Virginia, which he designed because one of his many talents and interests was architecture. He designed his house and the university. And then when they built the memorial, they built it to match those two. So it's really cool. And then around it on the inside uh, are different quotations from his life and his works and his letters and whatnot. Um, Some of them are pretty famous and some of them are a little less well known. Um, Like he has one quote specifically about slavery. And he says, um, well, the whole quote is God who gave us life, gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Commerce between master and slave is despotism. Nothing is more certainly written in the book of fate than that these people are to be free. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's an excellent quote. And you know what strikes me too is uh, in Thomas Jefferson's life, he was he was very well known for not being a, a mm-hmm. real great orator. So he had a more of a timid voice. He was not one of those speak up kind of people. Uh, but when he put that pen to the paper, mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, that was his gifting, mm-hmm. and God gifted him with an amazing ability to communicate through a literary style. So when I think of when I, when I think of Thomas Jefferson, um, and even I guess some of his earlier years, you know, with with that quote that you just gave, Corey, um, is uh, is very much a reflection of of, of his heart uh, and really who he was. And I think sometimes we forget, or people will forget, where you know he went to school, he went to college uh, at the College of William and Mary. Um, and he learned the Bible. He knew the Bible, and the people that were in his life helped him learn the Bible. So, you know, I guess say what you may, but um, Thomas Jefferson knew what was mm-hmm. in God's Word. So that's a component that uh, is reflected in some of those quotes uh, in the memorial as well. Well, and I think too, like when you look at Thomas Jefferson's life, um, a lot of what we, how we view of him today, is different than a hundred years ago or 200 years ago because of this idea of revisionist history. Um, Revisionist history is Mm -hmm. when we in our time are telling the story of a person's life, but we revise it to fit the 
components of today. And so today we look at Thomas Jefferson and we think, well, you know, he owned slaves. So how could he write all men are created equal and still own slaves? And it's a really hard question. I would say that, um, you know, as responsible historians, how do we look at his life and how do we look at these issues that are so hard that we're dealing with still today that, mm-hmm. you know, he wrote all men are created equal, but did he really just mean those who owned land and, you know, not women and, you know, all these different concepts that come up with the founding fathers today. It's so different than how they viewed it back then of, um, you know, again, with the issue of slavery, he did own slaves. I mean, there's, there's no refuting that he owned slaves. He knew, he knew that he did. And, at his home in Monticello, one of the highlights is to go and see the slave quarters and to talk about this issue of slavery. And, you know, I I feel like as American Christians, we're really divided almost on this because it's like we know just enough history to make it a little bit, you know, like, oh, we can justify it either way. Mm-hmm. But what did Thomas Jefferson say? What was what were the words between him and other founding fathers? What was the account of his life? Um, in in that time, I think is the question that we have to look at. So you're saying context is important. Context is important, <laughs> very much so. So Corey, what have you, I know that, um, again, we all have our specialties and I know that you really have dug a lot into Thomas Jefferson's life and um, into his beliefs. So what have you found in some of your searchings and Oh man, I do know that Aaron mentioned that Jefferson is an enigma because he is one of those, the more you look into, the more he seems to contradict himself. Like, yes, he owned slaves his entire life. And yet when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, the very first draft included a very lengthy and very heated paragraph um, that was laying the a grievance again the, the declaration was a list of grievances against the king laying out why we should separate and why we should rebel um and one of his main gr- grievances was the issue of slavery and saying hey we need to separate because the king is pushing for slavery and won't let us you know get rid of it so that was a that was a you know that's 1776 and he was only 33 years old and that was that was his view that you know we need to separate from england so that we can end slavery interesting and then later on when we were under the articles of confederation there was a big lump of land known as the northwest territory which became which hello that's us today um so this directly impacts us. So in 1781, they all kind of got together and decided this land would eventually become some states. And Jefferson wrote up what would become the set, the Northwest Ordinance of 1781. And so when it was voted on, um, they they agreed. But there was one part that just by one vote, the, the clause about slavery was stripped away because in Jefferson's original draft, he said, um, you know, after 1800 of the of the Christian area, there era, there shall neither be slavery nor involuntary servitude in any of the said states, that Northwest Territory. Well, by one vote, yeah. one vote, that that phrase was stripped from the Northwest Ordinance. And thankfully, it was written back in when we had our new constitution and our new country. It was put back in in 1787. Otherwise, we in Wisconsin and Minnesota might have had slaves. I don't know. But he's, 
Yeah, Corey, and you know what? That would have that, mm-hmm. that's really cool because you know again that speaks to Jefferson that he actually put that in mm-hmm. there. Um, but that that aside from that one vote, that that would have outlawed slavery outside the original thirteen yeah. colonies. And he said this. He was so upset about so, it. He says the voice of a single individual would have prevented this abominable crime from spreading itself over the new country. Thus, we see the fate of millions of unborn hanging on the tongue of one man and heaven was silent in that awful moment and i just i love the sobriety of that and like how what the voice of one person can make a difference millions hanging in the balance and so it's a little challenge to us like we might be that one voice hanging that's amazing well in his memorial i think is uh very like you had mentioned before just it's so iconic and so recognizable but his very first memorial that was built for him was actually in st louis missouri at the founding of, um, they had the World's Fair there in 1904. If you guys have ever seen Meet Me in St. Louis, oh, yep. or if you've ever been to St. Louis, that is where his first official memorial was to commemorate his part in Western expansion. So I would say Thomas Jefferson, more than, or maybe as much as other presidents, had a huge impact on us who live in the Western region, because without him, you know, we really, we wouldn't have what we have today. And it's interesting, you know, even looking at the complexity, the enigma of him, he was very critical of George Washington as president. Like Mm -hmm. when he was secretary of state, he was very critical of him. And even to the, to her dying breath, Martha Washington was not a huge fan (laughs) of him because of this. And it's, yeah, that man, she would just did not care for him. Well, it's interesting because he thought that president George Washington had a lot of presidential overreach, meaning he was doing things that were not in the constitution that allowed him to do those. However, with the Louisiana purchase, that was definitely not in the constitution. Mm -hmm. That's something a president could or should do. However, yeah, he himself, really quick, Krista, he himself said that he stretched the Constitution uh, to the extreme that it almost cracked. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly the point of going, even in the moment, like, you know, you kind of look back and go, I wonder if he would have been as hard on George Washington ex post facto. Like, if he's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like, kind of like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense now. Because what he did with the Western expansion, not only are we looking at the first expedition the Louisiana purchase into the discovery Corps with Lewis and Clark. And that is one of my favorite history stories ever Mm -hmm. is just talking about Lewis and Clark. And hopefully we'll get to it a later episode, but with the Westward expansion and going and exploring his love of nature and him being a very, um, you know, artistic and very, very solemn man in a lot of ways. Like you said, he wasn't outspoken. He loves just walking around nature. And so a big part of Louisiana Purchase was when they got these huge cartloads full of new animals that they discovered or new plants. And he has, if you guys have been to Monticello, they have replicas of many of the um, species that came back in the front foyer area on display as I think Corey, is it as it was or as close as they think it was um, like how they have all of the species and things displayed today. Like, I think it's pretty close to what it would have looked like because he was so proud of that for the rest of his Mm -hmm. life. And like the whole point of his foyer being so stuffed with interesting things was that he was a busy man. So if you showed up to come visit and he wasn't ready to see you and you had to wait a little bit, you could just sit there and learn something and observe and touch and feel and read. And so it's an educational waiting room. (laughs) An educational. I like that. 
Mm-hmm. We, we all need one of those. Right? I need one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and his life is so amazing. Monticello, you know, we look at he's living in the White House for just a few years. And, um, you know, even we think of him writing the Declaration of Independence. He lived after his presidency for another 20 years. That's mm-hmm. a long, long mm-hmm. time. And, you know, looking at how he was writing Founding Fathers, some of my favorite letters are between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. You know, reading those, the uh, the arguments that they'd had and really the breaking when Thomas Jefferson won out over John Adams to be third president, they did not end things well. There was mudslinging and, you know, we all think that politics mm-hmm. are messy today. They've always been messy. That's like, mm-hmm. that's just a fact. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to look at um, different different parts of of their lives and how they reconciled even even through those years of writing letters. Yeah. Krista, in his uh, again, Thomas Jefferson's creativity really shone through um, with 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 architecture Mm -hmm. and his love for architecture uh, and his constant uh, remodeling of his home. But, uh, you know, just his, the character that, that was reflected, I think, in his architectural pursuits and um, this, yes, speaks volumes about who he is, too. And one, you know, one last thing I thought of just on that whole slavery issue is I, I had read uh, quite a few years ago now, uh, the, only, the only book I think that Thomas Jefferson ever published was called Notes on Virginia. Yeah. Um, and he, he really revealed um, in one of his chapters, uh, his loathing of slavery um, and sort of his fears for the country too, but it was really more of a, uh, he knew slavery um, was, was bad. It was going to be kicked. You know, if you kick the can down the road, it's going to be really bad for the country. So that's the only book he ever published. And uh, it, that reflected some of his heart uh, and character. Well, that was well. amazing. Mm-hmm. That's where that quotation from the Jefferson Memorial came from, by the way, was the notes on Virginia. So, yeah, what a guy. I mean, and this is interesting. So this is always a question on my, like a bonus question on my quizzes for my students was what day did John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both die on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, the famous document they both wrote now in the National Archives. What a connection. What a coincidence. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah. 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 Well, and on his, you know, uh, Corey, on his gravestone also, it's intriguing to me that he didn't want uh, the political offices on his gravestone. Um, You know, he was president, he was secretary of state, he was vice president. Um, That can inflate anybody's head. Uh, And yet he wanted, um, by his own words, education you know the uh that he he was the founder for the the university of virginia so he had an emphasis on education and also the virginia statutes for religious freedom um that emphasized the freedom of religion and then also the declaration of independence those are the things that he thought was important uh that reflected his life and not necessarily politics so an amazing guy you know and one last thing i want to just state because i love this is that Maybe, um, I don't know if their lives ever intersected. They probably didn't. But Abraham Lincoln was born in 1809 and Thomas Jefferson died in 1826. So that would make old Abe, what, about 17 years old? Um, And uh, who knows if their lives ever intersected? Probably not, but that at least those two were alive at the same time. Yeah. Well, and you look and go, how 
close all of American history is. That that part always just baffles me. Going, you know, you think of Civil War as one era, Revolution and the Declaration, and you know, founding America, a different era, and just how close all of it intersects and um, doesn't just intersect, but just weaves together just a beautiful story of American America where it is today. And even looking at going, you know, the issue of slavery, there was resolution on that. Thomas Jefferson would be proud of us, I think, to look and go, we are not perfect. Um, we are far from it as a nation. And I think we have so many amazing characteristics. And one of those amazing things is that we choose to change. We see something and we self-correct ourselves. We don't wait for a dictator to come in and say, we have to just throw all this away. And, you know, even looking at our constitution that we have, we, the people have corrected our wrong ways. And, you know, our, again, we have ways to go. I would say, I think that all of us could agree that, um, you know, things today are far from perfect, but I think that as American people, we have this opportunity to self-correct because of someone like Thomas Jefferson who wrote those inspiring yeah. words and how often do we quote him mm-hmm. almost daily that all men are created equal. And, you know, the different ideas that he had is um, really birthed, I I would say an amazing thing in America and in, you know, Western civilization, slavery is so abominable and so horrible, but it's still going on around the world today. We don't talk about the fact that there are slaves. There are more people enslaved today than there ever has been in history. And where, where are we as Americans to stand up for those? We look back so harshly on people like Thomas Jefferson and these founding fathers and say, why didn't they stand up? Why aren't we standing up? We need to look at those questions ourselves and and look into that. Mm-hmm. So Thomas Jefferson, just an inc- incredible inspiration for each of us even today. What a great conversation, you guys. Um, we could talk for hours probably on Thomas Jefferson um, <clears throat> days, and we have. And we have. Um, <laughs> but uh, in lieu of time, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. So everybody stick around for our next uh, in one of our final uh, segments in the episode mm-hmm. here. And uh, so hang tight. All right, welcome back. It is now part of the show, everyone's favorite part of the show, where we set a two-minute timer and say go for a cronk corner. He gets two minutes on the clock to talk about whatever whatever he wants to talk about. And when the timer goes off, that's it. Not a second more. Are you ready, Aaron? I am ready. My counter is ready to go. On your mark. Get set. Go. All right, everybody. Well, sites like Mount Rushmore and Abraham Lincoln that we mentioned both last week, uh, the Lincoln Memorial, cause us to look back and they cause us to reflect a little bit on our history and uh, the wisdom and the skill of the leaders that led our nation in a time of crisis. But the Gateway Arch, and that's my little portion today, in St. Louis, Missouri, implies forward movement, right? Forward movement. So the arch speaks of a new day and new beginnings. Uh, this this giant arch is 630 feet tall and is stainless steel. Um, it's the tallest in the nation, as far as I know. 
So the arch, you guys, was completed in 1965 and commemorates Thomas Jefferson's uh, and even St. Louis's role in the westward expansion of the United States. Well, I thought of a little J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring with Bilbo Baggins. I know that'll make Corey happy uh, and possibly Krista, too. Um, But Bilbo Baggins warns his nephew. He says, it's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out of your door, you step into the road, and if you don't keep keep your feet. There's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Well, Bilbo was right. Life, you guys, is never static. It keeps moving along and our situations and circumstances change day by day uh, and sometimes even by the hour. But in a very real sense, uh, every morning of our lives is like the beginning of a new journey uh, with no two days ever alike. And you guys, I got to throw in some scripture here because in scripture, the Israelites were about to enter the promised land uh, and Joshua told them to carefully follow the priests with the head, the Ark of the Covenant. And Joshua 3, 4 says, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. We don't know what's what waits beyond our front door each day, you guys. Trials, who knows? But what we can do is begin each day's journey with prayer oh, and place oh. all the details in God's hands. Did I make uh, it? You did not make it. I didn't make it. <laughs> you did it, but I hate to cut off the word of God. So yeah, right. That's why I put it at the end. Oh, <laughs> well done. For fear of yeah. editing. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you brought up the Bagginses is our. Oh, I had to throw that in. That's just a great quote from Bill. Ball. I always love that. And Aaron Cronk. Yeah. Anytime you talk about St. Louis, Missouri, yeah. you're going to have sure. me on on board because, again, like I've t- already talked about twice today. I love the Louisiana Purchase, and that's where they started their expedition. Well, a little bit upriver at St. Charles, but close enough. We just call it St. Louis, so perfect. Okay, well, we're coming to a close on this episode, but before we wrap up um, this episode of Behind the Tour, we just want to take a minute to remind you to click, like, share, subscribe, all the things to Behind the Tour or put on whatever listening platform you use. Um, remember, we bring thousands of people each year to all of the sites that you've heard about uh, on the show, the places that we talk about, the places that we love to talk about, obviously. Um, so if you'd like to see any of these in person yourself, check out axe-tours.com. That's A-C-T-S dash tours.com to plan your trip with American Christian tours. And don't forget to send us your questions um, to behind the tours at axe-tours.com. So each episode of Behind the Tour, we want to leave you with a call to action. America's story has been carved through the personal courage and ingenuity of individuals who stood strong when others wouldn't. We want you to take courage and be inspired by the lives of those who've gone before us who, like Queen Esther in the Bible, were here for such a time as this. And they had the strength to say and live out, if I perish, I perish. So Krista, you're going to go ahead and close us out today with... Just a really fascinating and sadly forgotten story in American history. Yeah, Krista, bring us home. All right. Well, the individual I'm going to be talking today is a man named Benjamin Banneker. And this is a story that really goes with, I would say, what we've been talking about today. The fact of individuals, how 
each make a difference, but also black history. Benjamin Banneker was a black individual born in 1731, and he was never a slave. Um, a lot of times in America, I think we get this idea that all blacks were slave and that simply wasn't the case. And he is one instance of a person who was born free and who had just this really cool influence on American history. So like I said, he was born in 1731. His parents were landowners of all things that, you know, we can, I can barely even wrap my brain around it. They were landowners in Maryland and Maryland was actually a slave state. So they were free slave or they're free, free black people in a slave state. And he ended up owning land and was a farmer and just really one of the smartest individuals um, of that time. And that isn't just my word for it. Thomas Jefferson actually said this because he was the cousin or he was neighbors to the cousin of one of the men who would be the engineer for all of Washington, D.C. So a lot of people might be familiar with the name Pierre Lamfont who was the architect, but the engineer was a man named Ellicott. And so he was recommended, Benjamin Banneker was recommended by Ellicott's cousin, who was his neighbor, to be an assistant. And when he went to go be an assistant, he worked with everyone. I mean, he knew George Washington. He knew Thomas Jefferson. He had all of these amazing interactions because of his abilities. You guys, he was the first person to build a clock that lasted years and years completely out of wood. He was just so smart. He actually had his own almanac that he predicted how the moon and the stars interacted and he predicted eclipses and just very, very smart individual. And why we're talking about him today is, you know, there have been a lot of smart people, right? Well, I like his influence on Thomas Jefferson. So imagine this, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. He's a black man. Our, um, Benjamin Benneker is a black man talking to Thomas Jefferson. He wrote him a letter in August of 1791. So this is um, Thomas Jefferson at this point, a secretary of state. He wrote him a letter and he called Thomas Jefferson out. He said, sir, you have said all men are created equal, yet you own slaves. What's the deal? He didn't say it exactly like that, but he really did have this, you know, essentially this long letter that was just saying, why do you say that all men are created equal, yet you have slaves? How can you live this life of double meaning? How does your life actually reflect what you believe? And he quoted him from 17, what Corey was talking about. He quoted him from earlier in his life in 1785 and said, you said that people should be free. And you've also said that black people don't have the same mental capacities. How can that be? Well, Thomas Jefferson wrote him back and there's a series of letters that go back and forth. And Benjamin Banneker actually really helped Thomas Jefferson come to terms with that black men are not any less because of the color of their skin. And for us, that's like, okay, yeah, we get it. But to understand that truly black people, even if they were breed or if they were slaves, they were considered that they were not as intelligent as white men. And he really, Benjamin Banneker was one of the huge influencers, a very silent person who influenced a lot of American thought on black people. And so he's a very important person. Um, again, he helped engineer all of Washington, D.C. He took over. He helped take over when Pierre Lamfont was fired. He helped implement all these great things. And there's a memorial to him by Pierre Lamfont Plaza. Um, interestingly enough, that it would be there over in Washington, D.C. So if you ever get a chance, go check out his memorial for Benjamin Banneker, a great American. Krista, thank you so much. That is a is an awesome call to action. 
And that, yeah, it, here at American Christian Tours, uh, that's our vision. Part of our vision is that we believe that one person can make a difference, uh, just like Benjamin Banneker. And we believe that t- together we can make a big difference. Um, and we believe that inspiring people, young and old, is really important and that the past gives insight into the future. So that's why we're passionate about providing tour programs that go on location that make a difference as well. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today. And as always, remember that your story is a part of his story. And God put you here, not by mistake, but here and now for such a time as this. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.